A few times a year, we recognize not only what Jesus has done, but also the people who are now in heaven because of that resurrection. Today, we're going to be looking at a question the Sadducees bring to Jesus, essentially trying to trick him into convincing everyone that there is no life after death. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, November 17th, 2013. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, We had a couple missionaries here, and I'm going to just point them out, so if they come and talk to you, remember what we talked about, only good things. Uh, uh, This is Kent, uh, Kent Reeder, and Greg Hine. Greg is in Arizona, Gilbert, Arizona, outside of Phoenix, and Kent is in South Carolina, I want to say Rock Hill, or Hill? Single, one, only one. How how high is that hill? It's not there. (laughs) We don't have a castle rack. We call those wannabes. Uh, so uh, they came in town on Thursday, and we had a chance to sit down and talk some principles at church planting, and uh, I forced them to come and sing, so thanks. Uh, we are done with our sermon series on work and wealth, and it's going to sound like we're kind of swinging back to one that we already talked about, because we talked about, remember, uh, that very um, encouraging one that was called Death, Hell, and the Devil. And basically, Americans don't like to talk about death or hell or the devil, so we thought, hey, we should talk about them because these are biblical things. This is kind of along the same lines that we're going to be talking about on saints triumphant. And the gist that we're going to be looking at today is, uh, the question is, is there life after death? And the Sadducees, the group of people at the time, were saying, like, there is no life after death. This is a group of guys who lived around Jesus' time. They believed in the first five books of the Bible, and they said there is no life after death. And how this connects is simply this. The, uh, we, we even said this. It is not hard to, um, I mean, it, sh- it should say, it's very difficult to deny death, correct? We've kind of, we covered this basis. It's very difficult. And in fact, we don't like to talk about death because it's something that's inevitable and that we have to face each one of us. So this is not something we're looking forward to. It's not something that we said you don't talk about on a first date, right? Like, it's nice to meet you and you talk about death. Not something you bring up on the elevator, like get on the elevator and the door shuts and you say, have you ever thought about dying? Right, this would not, this is not kind of how you roll. This is not a good thing to do. So you, you cannot deny death. So for that very reason, it's kind of scary to people and they don't want to talk about it. On the flip side, can you deny the afterlife? Is it hard to deny the afterlife? No, that is not very difficult because we don't have like proof in a sense um, I've never read the book Heaven and For Real, but there's the idea that someone's trying to prove that there's the afterlife. If you don't believe in it, you're going to say, like, whatever. Um, Kevin Bacon and Flatliners. You guys, are, you're like, Kevin Bacon, wow. Uh, this is years ago. It's a movie I saw as a kid, but the idea, this is going to sound really morbid. Uh, the kids are upstairs, though, so we're okay. They essentially kill themselves, they're these medical students, and then they wanted to see if there's something after left that they can experience, and then, of course, it goes longer and longer, and I'm sure it ends in disaster. That's how it, I'm sure... Uh, people have to die so that more actors can act with Kevin Bacon, so then more people can have connections with Kevin Bacon. That's kind of how it all works. So you can deny it. They are not the first ones. If you've ever met someone that's saying, like, I don't really believe in the afterlife, I've met people like that all the time, they're not the first people to think of this. The Sadducees uh, aren't even the first people either, but the Sadducees were a group of people who thought the idea of living for this, in this life with this idea that there is something fantastic outside of this or there's something dreadful outside of life, they're idiots. That's kind of their idea of it. And it bugged them enough that they felt like they had approved to everyone that this is not a good plan. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, I don't blame them 
for being bothered by something that they believe very intently and feeling almost obligated to tell other people what you believe, I don't think it's very beneficial for you. Here's my example. Uh, if you can see this guy, that is a, pole, a stretching pole. I didn't even know, and I don't know if I've talked about stretching guy before. So my, my wife is already laughing because we go to the gym. So apparently this is for golf. I had no idea. So we'd go to the gym. This is in Washington. I would go, and I'd say, hey, Amy, do you see stretching guy? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, you'll know. So then she'd go like the next time because we were too cheap to pay child care. So she had to go for an hour, and then I went for an hour, and we'd flip-flop back and forth and things like that. So she would go, and then I'm like, you see stretching guy? She's like, I don't know. Is he like a big guy? I'm like, no. <laughs> you'll know. Suddenly she comes back. She's like, I saw a stretching guy. I'm like, what do you mean? There's this man who's maybe like 45 years old or something like this. I never saw him touch a single weight ever. He had this, it's awkward enough to see an adult man stretch anyway. And he would have like his tights on, you know, and the tight shirt. You'd have the Under Armour because you need that support if you're going to stretch. I mean, in case, in case a bar fight comes out at the gym. So he's got his whole get up on and he would have this pole and he would just be doing like this. I shouldn't have you stretching since I just said how awkward it is to see an adult man stretch. So, all right, well, just, just his stretches consist of this side, that side, talking to the ladies, and then going this side. That's it. His lats had to be so loose that, I mean, it's unbelievable what he could eat. I bet he could already touch, like, his ear. So stretching guy, I felt almost compelled because he would be there the whole time. You know, like Anna in the Old Testament and the New Testament, I mean, lived at the temple. I wondered if stretching guy lived at the temple. He lived right at the gym. So he would be there every time I went, the whole time. He would be there every time Amy went, the whole time, once she identified stretching guy. But I never said anything, you know, because it would have been kind of awkward to be within, you know, about 10 feet of stretching guy, so I just let it be. But what happens, though, when you run into someone and they, it's like life and death? Then do you feel obligated? If they believe something that's detrimental, like life and death, is it something you might mention? Like if you just saw someone who taped their kid in their car seat? I mean, you might say something, right? Or you saw a car seat perhaps on top of the car. Like this is not a good idea. No matter if the kid's hot, that's not a good idea. Would you say something? You're like, this is not good. Let's say something. Um, if someone comes to me and says, yeah, you know, I just live the best I can and God's going to let me in heaven, I feel obligated, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian and a human being to say, you know what, the Bible doesn't say that. The Sadducees did believe in Scripture. They did. They believed in the first five books of the Bible. But this idea that there's life after death bothered them so much that they felt like we have to point out publicly that this is not right. So they did. And they come to Jesus with this story. And I've got a a fine graphic here because that's, of course, uh, somehow the ladies in the Old Testament look like princesses from Disney. So that's how it worked in the Old Testament. And what they're doing is they're working off, I'm going to kind of just retell the story because it's something I think you've heard before, and they're working off this idea of the Leverite law. The Leverite law said this, if I get, uh, I can use this in a real scenario, I've got three brothers. So I've got three brothers, if my oldest brother, my oldest brother is married, when my oldest brother got married, if we lived in the Old Testament and we were Jewish, see there's a lot of stipulations on that, um, but when my oldest brother got married, if he had zero kids and he dies, it would be the obligation of the next brother to marry the, uh, his brother's, my brother's wife and try and have kids that would then be in the name of the oldest brothers. Are you following this? Are you saying short prayers of thanks you don't live in the Old Testament? I was. 
If I lived in the Old Testament and I was the oldest brother, the first order of business would be have kids. I'd look at my other brothers, I'd be like, seriously, we've got to have kids immediately because if I die, this is really weird even if I'm in heaven. So, so we've got this Leverite law. They think they're going to use this law to point out how ridiculous it is that you would believe in the afterlife. So they have this scenario, and you heard it. At the, this uh, guy gets married um, to a woman. The guy dies with no kids. And it goes all the way down to seven. And you can imagine them like the guy's kind of snickering as they're getting to it. Like, I don't know why they pick seven, the perfect number. They get all the way done, and they're like, what do you think, Jesus? And Jesus, essentially, if you read in Matthew, there's two accounts of this. But if you read in Matthew, he says, you guys don't get it. You don't understand the power of God, and you don't understand the resurrection. You don't understand the scriptures. You don't understand the power of God. Let me explain. Uh, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come, the afterlife, and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, and they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. So point number one, Jesus is saying, you guys don't get it. There is a resurrection, and what's the answer of who she's going to marry to? Nobody. Does that bother you a little bit? To me, it bugs me a little bit. I think this is a hard teaching. When you're talking about um, people who've been married, we've been married more than 10 years, coming on 15 years. So this is a long time. Amy and I met 1991, 14 and 15. This is a long time. More than half of my life is with my wife. Most of my good memories are with my wife. And this is a hard thing for me to think, okay, you get to heaven, and then that, that relationship is just done. And my wife likes old people, so I think she's, she's going to smile when she sees this cute picture of this married... I googled cute married couple, old. And this is what came up, and I thought, that is just the most adorable... My wife likes old people, so the older I get, that means the more she's going to love me. Now just imagine I'm in heaven, and I'm 10,050 years old. You can bank that. I'm thinking, this is perfect, except you're not going to be married in heaven. The intimate relationship that you know now, this wonderful relationship, the closest thing you know on earth, he says the two will become one flesh that doesn't exist. It's, it's just not there. And you've been married, if you've known someone long enough, you start to finish each other's sentences. Has that happened to you? Um, sometimes like pets, you start to look like your spouse. Have you experienced it? You see people and you're like, brother, sister married. We can't, you can't tell after a while. I don't know if it's the diet or what, and for some people that's a big-time upgrade, by the way. So this works like this. To me, this is really hard, and I'm saying, does this make sense, but what is Jesus saying to you? Jesus says, I understand that this is the greatest relationship, the most intimate relationship you can experience on this earth. He says, I get that. But the point is this, when you're in heaven, you don't need it any longer. Essentially, this relationship that you have is training wheels. And have you ever seen an adult who's still on training wheels? Nobody, right? How awkward would that be if the guy's like, hey, want to hit the trails, bro? And then he's got training wheels on. I'm like, ah, my leg hurts. I think I'm going to go with somebody else, right? I mean, this would not make sense. So your marriage now is a picture of the relationship that you're going to ultimately have with Jesus. Jesus is saying you don't need to be married because you're going to have me. Here's a picture. You can see the training reels in the background. Soon you're in heaven. You're not going to need those anymore. You know who got to see pictures of this? 
John. John did. So G, uh, the end, John lived to be the oldest of all the uh, apostles or disciples of Jesus. And then got, we have the Revelation, the book of Revelation, which if you, you did the long title, it would be the Revelations of St. John. Essentially, the Revelations of Jesus to St. John. And this is what he sees in Revelation 21. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, and he's talking about the church prepared for Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Marriage is a human thing that God has set up that's only for this lifetime, and it's just training wheels for something to come. The Sadducees missed that point. And I wish the Sadducees were the only ones who kind of missed this point. Do you ever find yourself as you consider your life and say, I kind of only do live on some level for this 70 or 80 years that I'm on this planet? Do you find that? Do you find your ultimate value all the time in Christ? Saying, there's going to be a day I'm going to be united with Christ, or do you find your significance at times in your spouse? Or in your kids and how, what they've done and their accomplishments? Do you find it in your job or your stuff? Do you find that spot? Essentially, you're just doing the same thing the Pharisees have done or the Sadducees have done. You're saying to yourself, this is what's most important, not ultimately my relationship that lasts forever with God. I wish they were the only ones who ever doubted. Do you ever find yourself who, just doubting some of these promises? Uh, and they doubted that there's a resurrection, but it, the triune God, you ever try and wrap your brain around that? And you just say, like, I just don't get it. What about, like, um, the idea of eternity? I told you that before as a kid that just drove me crazy. Just trying to think, like, there had to be a beginning for God. There just had to be. There just had to be. And, and God says, no, I've always been around. Is this making your head squeeze a little bit? We're about to celebrate a meal today that's pretty special. The members of our church are coming up, and we get to say we're united together and united with God with his true body and his true blood. Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. You ever come up here and wonder, like, is this really true? Is that really it? I'll just crank it up one more level. We're about to celebrate today and recognize that people are in heaven with God in Jesus today. We're going to write that out and we're going to say those names out loud, but remember when you first said goodbye to that person and how much it hurt and the pain and did you find just a little bit inside you saying, are they really, are they really somewhere? Are they really in heaven? Is, this, is all this stuff real? That's how the Sadducees felt. They said there's nothing, and we're just holding on with our, our tiny little faith, and we're saying, God, maybe this world is all there is that's worthwhile. Maybe I should be finding my significance in my stuff, in my life, in me. And God says, whoa, whoa, whoa. He says to the Sadducees, and he says to you, I want to tell you something. The account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls him the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He doesn't say, I was. And what's the significance of that? These guys are dead. And God is saying, I am currently their God. 
If you've ever had a relationship and you use the past tense, that usually means the relationship is done, right? That was my dog, right? You don't say this is my dog if your dog's no longer alive. You say that was my wife. Some of you have experienced divorce. That's a painful thing. Or that was my husband. That means it's broken. That used to be my mom, maybe. Or that used to be my boss. Or I used to have a great job. Or I used to. This is all past tense. That means that relationship is broken. Does God come to you and say, I was your God? Or does God say, I am your God? God says, currently, at this moment, I am your God. The Sadducees didn't get that. God is not the God of the dead. God is the God of the living. He's made us his children. And in spite of our doubts, in spite of our life living for the things we want right now, God says, something that happened in the past changes your current relationship with me. God doesn't say, I am suffering. Do you know that in the Bible? It doesn't mean he's just, we're just kind of waiting for it to be complete. Um, like, um, uh, I'm doing work, and Amy says, hey, do you want to go outside? I'm like, hold on, hold on, I'm working on something. What's that mean? It's not done, right? I'm, I'm working on I can't go now yet. I can't do it. Or say the car's broken. She said, hey, can I go? I said, no, I'm working on the car. Is God working on your salvation right now? No, God is your God, and God worked on your salvation. He died for you, past tense. He was crushed for you, past tense. He was pierced for you, past tense. He hung for you, past tense. He rose for you, past tense, so that your relationship with him is now current. We're not waiting for the car to leave. We're not waiting for Jesus to die. Jesus has died. He has risen, and God reminds us, I'm the God of the living, not the God of the dead. We get to celebrate pretty awesome thing in Saints Triumphant. And I want you to take a minute. I'll just do it now so it's easier. If you've got a name that you want to remember of someone who is now in heaven, write that down right on your take action card, right where it says prayer request. Put a star and put that name, and I'll give you about 30 seconds or so if there's someone you want to put down that we recognize. God, you, you have done it. You've finished the race for them. You have forgiven their sins. You've wiped them clean, and now they are with you. I don't understand, really, how I'm not going to be married in heaven. I don't. And I don't understand fully all the things of Scripture, but God is very clear to say, I, I was not your God. God's saying, I am your God. I have died. I have risen. And you're going to be with me. And there's going to be a day when you go to heaven, and you're going to be received in Jesus' arms, and he's going to say, um, you are mine. You are my child. Welcome home, my bride, the church. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amen.